What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the League Express podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, before we get into today's episode, we just had to make a quick announcement. Uh, Martin and I will be going on a, a short break over the next two weeks. Uh, I'm going to be doing some travel through Belgium and Germany, and uh, Martin's going to be focusing on wrapping things up uh, for the 2023 uh, calendar year at League Express. So, um, yeah, a little bit going on over the next two weeks, but if anything big does happen, I'm sure we'll find a way to cover it, uh, whether that be over a, a Zoom call or something like that. But uh, fingers crossed nothing dramatic happens, although we do love uh, when news breaks. So, um, yeah, short break over the next two weeks, and then we'll be right back before Christmas to record an episode and then yeah we'll see how things go for the rest of 2023 but uh we'd just like to quickly take the chance to thank you guys for uh, tuning in every single week we're steadily growing our subscriber base on youtube and we're getting more and more listeners every week uh, with each episode so thank you all for your support yeah if you haven't subscribed yet make sure you go down hit that subscribe button on the youtube channel you know it also gives you guys notifications when we do upload videos so you never miss uh, one of our weekly episodes so um make sure you go ahead and do that guys but yeah thanks again for your support and uh yeah without further ado let's get into this week's episode cheers all right guys welcome back to another episode of the league express podcast my name is jake kin and joining me as always is the editor of league express martin sadler martin how was your weekend well it wasn't so bad actually jake it was pretty good really but um but yesterday monday was a horror show for me because we got a power cut where i live and we didn't have any power all night from seven o'clock in the evening till three o'clock this morning so that was uh, not much fun mate at all i'll tell you and uh you know, I'd I'd love to know what uh, what the cause of it was, but anyway, we're all back. We've got lots of power here yeah. in, uh, in in Brig House, and it's a pleasure to see you again. So um, we'll uh, we'll crack on with it. The other thing was, by the way, that it was really freezing cold this morning, <laughs> and uh, no my, my my car took a lot of defrosting. I'll tell you. Oh no! But yeah, but no, great to be here again. Yeah, and absolutely. lots to talk about, I think. Yeah, yeah, a fair bit to go off uh, over the past you know, week or so. We've had a lot of news released, and I'll tell you what, though, it is getting bloody cold. Um, as an Australian over here, I, I witnessed my first minus um, temperature day. Uh, but you're still not regretting coming, are you? No, 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 not yet. <laughs> not uh, yet, no. And, uh, how, the more... much, how much further does the temperature have to fall before you do regret it? Oh... Minus, if if it if it reaches minus ten, well, I'll be yeah. <laughs> I'll be uh, staying inside. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah we'll see. But it, it worries me that technically we're not even in winter yet. So no, no, no. A few more days yet, and absolutely uh, we'll get there. But yeah, now I've got my big uh, puffer jacket here behind me that I, yeah. I sported this morning. And don't watch any videos from Australia. Whatever you do, <laughs> no, absolutely. All my friends are sending uh, sending me bloody beach pictures, at the yes. moment, which is uh, very frustrating. Uh, yeah. But, um, oh well, what can you do? Yeah. Um, our time will come next. Next year and uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. it's a nice warm summer. Yeah. Um, now, over the past, oh, I don't know how many days ago, it was probably four or five days ago, Martin, uh, we had some real changes come in, uh, we'll introduce for next season. Uh, they include uh, a change around the 18th man, so now uh, an 18th man can be used after two uh, HIAs or, or injuries and um, they can be used after a player uh, goes down to an injury caused by foul play. Uh, that's my understanding. Yes. Um, so that's a positive rule change. Um, some of the others that have been changes uh, now when there's a penalty during the scrum, uh, the team receiving the penalty will have the option to repack the scrum, which will encourage um, some more attacking play when attacking the line, I believe. And uh, there's also been a change around the uh, six again rule. So uh, teams uh, with the ball in possession um, coming out of their own end in that sort of 40 metre zone uh, will be given a, a penalty where they can then opt to kick for touch or, or tap yeah. the ball yeah. rather than a six again, which we saw defensive teams trying to um, use it to their advantage to hold a player down so they could get the defensive line Absolutely, set. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what are your initial reactions to these three key rule changes? Well, my in- initial reaction to the, um, to, to the 18th man rule is that it's just part of the journey to having five substitutes or five interactions generally because you know it's we actually interestingly we made a decision at the start of 2023 at league express that we when we have when we include match reports in the paper we weren't going to include the 18th man unless he actually played in the game and there are very few examples of players who did play as an 18th man Mm. in super league this year 
it's fairly obvious that that number will increase quite dramatically um, mm. uh, next year. And I think that will probably make us change our policy so that we will list the 18th man separately and then indicate whether he played or, or, or not. And I expect that there will be probably one or two each week who will who will play. But, uh, you know, as I say, I, I think it's we're on route to just having five substitutes mm. um, who will be able to be used for for any reason ultimately and I think that probably makes a lot of sense really mm. um, because you know I think um, with the much greater emphasis on head knocks we're going to see that probably next month in December I think the RFL is going to publish a, a new study on head knocks and I think they're going to tighten up on um, head knocks in a game more players will be yellow carded more players will be red carded mm. and I think it's a good thing to um, to be able to have um, more players available on, on, on the bench so I think that's a, a, a very good thing um, in terms of the change to the six again rule again I, I, I support that move because you know as, as, as we said before um, a defensive team in the opponent's half of the field, particularly, you know, the nearer you get to the opponent's line. The six-again rule doesn't mean much to them if they can set their defensive line even by, you know, yielding an extra tackle. And this will um, stop them from, from infringing, I think. So I think it's a, a good move. It's, a, it's an interesting development. The six-again rule is still a, a fairly controversial rule. And I, I notice, really, its use has declined this season compared to last season hmm. and that you know it, hopefully it will continue dec to decline because teams will you know learning to live with it or learning to get off the tackle player quickly not hold down and so on that's and that's the object of the rule isn't it hmm. so hopefully the rule is working and the more it works the the fewer uh, six again, six agains. We'll see. I think. Mm, no, absolutely. And um, I just had a little thought in the back of my mind just then um, when uh, Christian Wolf and the Tongan team were over here. They were sort of complaining about uh, the slowness of, of the ruck speed over here compared to um, down under. So yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see um, you know if the game does continue to get quicker uh, over the coming years. But well, quicker in the ruck, yes. Mm. I think that's you know that's what we need. We we, we need a tidy ruck, don't we? That's mm. the, you know. And 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 I think that you know we'll we'll see more um, pl players hopefully trying to touch the ball with their foot as well as as they do so much more effectively in the NRL, don't they? Yeah, well that's it. I think um, you know I've seen a lot of play the balls in the Super League over the past twelve months that sort of go um, you know straight through the legs and, and the referee doesn't really blow the penalty. I know, but, I know. Well, yeah. the referees, you know, it's in the rules that you're supposed to touch the ball with your foot, but the referees are obviously advised to be selective in the way they apply mm. the rules. Mm. And there's no doubt that if you applied every rule religiously, then you'd be blowing up a lot, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's what we probably don't want to see most fans, at, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a bloody coach killer when you see a, your team get penalised for not uh, playing the ball correctly. Oh, yes, uh, you yes. hate to see it. Um, now, the the scrum option um, to repack the scrum, I personally uh, love this decision. Uh, yes. We've seen a few more set plays be developed over the years around the scrum where the the lock will hold the ball in, trying to get the defensive line offside. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, when, when that does happen at the scrum and the lock holds it in, it gives the half back or the scrum half the opportunity to run around and then receive the ball at first receiver from uh, the, the... To see a try from head. a scrum is a great thing, I think. Mm. You know, it, it, it certainly, you know, creates the space that, that the attacking side can exploit. And mm. it, it, it's, it's, some clubs do practice that and practice it very effectively. And it's great to see it working when it does work, mm. in my view. And, you know, I, I, so I think that's a, a good move as well. I think we're, this is quite unusual that we're actually saying we support rule changes, rule changes yeah. that have actually been made. There must be something uh, something odd about us, I think, today. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's all good news. We are really excited to see those rules implemented next season. Uh, speaking of next season, though, we've had the uh, schedule released. Uh, some of the round one matchups have been announced. And I'm, I read in your column, Martin, you were quite excited by uh, some of the, uh, I think it was the whole matchup. Uh, well, Hull, Hull, Hull FC versus Hull KR is the first game of the season. Mm. It's hard to imagine you could have a bigger game than that to start the season. And, um, and I'm a great believer as well. I mean, Thursday night games um, are great um, in that, you know, a lot of people 
watch Thursday night games because there's not much, not much football on. Usually there isn't a football game on TV on a Thursday night. There's not much competition for a game. But the problem is that when you have a Thursday night game, having a, a game where one side has to cross the Pennines and travel a long distance uh, means that they're probably not going to take many fans with them. Yep. So I'm a great believer in having Thursday night games between teams that are fairly... Um, are located fairly close together and you know you couldn't really get much closer could you than Hull versus Hull KR mm. so you know I, I, th- I think also I'm, I'm, Hull have um, strengthened I think over the close season I mean last last year on um, on, on Good Friday Hull KR went to Hull and beat them 40 nil in front of 20,000 and odd people and that was a massive letdown for the Hull fans mm. Uh, hopefully that won't happen uh, on the um, 15th of February this coming year. Mm. Hopefully it'll be a far closer game, whoever wins, and it should be a tremendous TV spectacle as well. And it would be great to think that Hull and Hull KR will be able to sell out that game and, and fill the what's now called the MKM Stadium um, and, and, and give us a massive, massive start to the season. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's one of the things the NRL's moved away from in the past few years. And, you know, we always used to have uh, our seasons begin with, uh, like, the Broncos playing against the Cowboys. And mm. that used to always be round one, uh, generally game one or two. Uh, you'd always have, like, the Rabbitohs play the Roosters. But mm. um, I think their reasoning in the NRL from moving away from those rivalries is that they believe that no matter what happens in round one, people are going to go watch the game. Because, That's probably true, yeah. And then they're thinking, well, why don't we put the rivalry on round three when yes. maybe that attention might die off a little bit? So, yes. Well, there's, um, a science, there's a science to a fixture list, in my view. Mm. And it, it's, it's a very important part of marketing the game, isn't it? To, mm. to get a fixture list that appeals to everybody. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, as I say, I think Hull uh, and Hull KR, it's... it's it's great to see that game being played, and, and they meet again in round six on Good Friday, when the game's at um, Hulkingston Rovers. So, you know, they'll meet each other twice in the first six rounds. Mm. Yeah, what a way to open the season! Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, hopefully, that game sets the tone for the the rest of the season with Absolutely. a good, hard, contested battle. But um, moving on, we also had news that uh, talk. Can, can I just say something else though about the fixture list, which mm. which, which I've, I've I've said in my column this week. We're going to have Sky um, broadcasting all six games each weekend from Super League in 2024. That's great. That's marvellous, isn't it? Mm. But wouldn't you think that, therefore, the people who compile the fixtures and the clubs themselves would want to have each fixture given a discrete time at the weekend when it's the only game being played Mm. and everybody who wants to watch a live game of Rugby League can watch all six games over the weekend. So I've suggested, you know, it should be one game on Thursday, one on Friday, two on Saturday, perhaps kicking off at 12.30 and 3.30. And similarly on Sunday with similar kickoff times. So that, you know, we could... Now, for example, the the first weekend of games, we've got um, on Friday night, Leeds Rhinos versus Salford Red Devils, Lee Leopards versus Huddersfield Giants, St. Helens versus London Broncos. Now, you can only watch one of those games live. Mm. If you want to watch the other two, you'll have to record them, assuming that that's possible. Um, and you'll have to watch them knowing what the results are. Well, yeah. that's going to reduce the audience, isn't it? Mm. If you were going to go to maximise the audience, you'd want to do what the, what the NRL does, which is to give every game its own discrete time you know, over the weekend. Mm. And that works great for the NRL, and it enhances the value of the NRL's broadcast rights. Mm. But we're, you know, we just look to be almost deliberately um, depressing the value of our broadcast rights. So those two games, let's imagine Leeds versus Salford was the Friday night game. In my view, there's no reason why Lee v. Huddersfield and St. Helens v. London shouldn't be on the Sunday afternoon. Mm. And they'd they'd probably get bigger gates, I think, to be perfectly honest. Um, And I think they'd certainly get more people watching them you know, through um, either either on TV or on a streaming service. Mm. And what is the obsession, I guess, for clubs to want to play on a Friday night? Is it that then they get their weekend to sort of recover and, and go and do things with their well, family? Well, certainly or? from, uh, you know, fr- from a Leeds perspective, for example, I can understand them wanting to play on Friday because 
they get a much bigger corporate rollout um, for hospitality. They've got terrific hospitality, um, you know, at, at, at Leeds. I think you've been there and you've mm-hmm. seen, you know, the, the facilities that they have. And you can understand them wanting to fill um, their enormous, you know, hospitality uh, rooms at, at Leeds. And I assume the same is true of other clubs, although not to quite the same extent. But there's no reason. You know, when we switched rugby league to summer in this country, the idea was that we'd have beautiful Sunday afternoons of um, being able to go out and watch watch rugby league, you know, on a you know gorgeous sunny sunny afternoon. And yet, there's no Sunday afternoon game on round one. Mm. I mean, that just is missing a trick, mm. surely, from the way the way that I see it. I mean, we do have two Saturday afternoon games: Castleford versus Wigan at three o'clock, and Catalans versus Warrington in Perpignan at five thirty. But you know, we ought to be having more games at times when more people want to see them, in my mm. view. Yeah, I always remember growing up uh, watching the football and hearing Gus Gould in the commentary always saying, how good Sunday afternoon football. Absolutely, and you've got to love yeah. your Sunday afternoon football. Yeah, of course. And, um, yeah. you know, when it's a nice afternoon, the sun's out, you know, the track's dry. Uh, and you see a bit of attacking football. There's yeah, no yeah. better way to end your weekend, in my you view. You see far better football because... Apart from anything else, um, in in the afternoon, the ball is unlikely to have a lot of dew on it, isn't it? You mm. know, the, as the temperatures drop, the you know it becomes much more likely that the ball will be wet and mm. um, and and have dew on it that makes it hard to handle. So, the the football, you know, on balance would tend to be better on an afternoon, but we're not going to see much of it, unfortunately. No, oh, well, maybe in years to come, they, yeah, they yeah. might listen. But um, this, I will just quickly touch on the proposed streaming service that Sky is uh, going to roll out. Uh, there's not much detail around it at the moment, but, you know, is this something that uh, you'd support or, or are looking forward to? to well, we'll have to see. Using? Yes, I mean, we'll have to see what it looks like, won't we? Mm. Um, yeah, and, 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 and let's hope it works well. Mm. Um until we see the details though it's one of those things that it's difficult to talk about with any Mm. authority I think hopefully it's uh, easily accessible and everyone can watch the games without too many technical difficulties let's hope so Um, well most people have got TVs now that can you know download streaming services haven't they so you know let's let's uh, let's hope it works well they're going to have to Find some new commentators, though, aren't this guy? Mm, yeah, absolutely. With all these games, so I don't know if you fancy making a bid for one of those. <laughs> Maybe one of those positions, Jake. But I'm sure you'd be great at it. Ah, uh, we'll see. I can, uh, you know, talk to a brick wall. So hopefully, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, you are uh, doing, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, but also, I just want to touch on any news on uh, Channel Four with their broadcast. None whatsoever. Forward. They're they're not prepared to comment um, okay. at this moment. They've not said yes and they've not said no. They're still having talks, apparently, but they won't comment on them until those talks are finalised, either with a, a deal or with no deal. Mm. So I'm afraid uh, I have spoken to people at uh, at Channel Four, but they insist that they don't want that, that they're not prepared to make any attributable comment um, to them because it's obviously a delicate negotiation for them. And uh, mm. but having said that, I mean I hope that Channel Four do. Um, carry on i think they've been a breath of fresh air it's been good to get a different uh, slant on on super league games i mean you know this this year the last couple of years we've had channel four covering super league and um via play premier sport as it used to be covering the championship mm-hmm. now via play have pulled out um which is very sad and it would be sad if channel four pulled out as well because it's great to have you know more than one outlet focusing on the game i mean we also have the bbc covering the challenge cup for example which is a great thing as well mm. so you know this this year we had four different tv channels covering our sport and it's not surprising that the attendance figures went up probably not greatly but significantly um because more people were getting the chance to see rugby league at its best mm. and we we urgently need to make sure that that continues if possible. Is there any word on whether there will be another provider that will go and uh, you know, film the, the championship Not matches? that I'm aware of at the moment, but you never know. Um, I think the championship is a great competition and mm. um, obviously Wakefield are in it this year and they'll be, they've sold 4,500 season tickets apparently already, mm. probably more than that now. Um, so 
there, there'll be a lot of interest in the championship and a lot of great games. And I think, you know, somebody ought to pick it up, in my view, and um, it would be great to see it being broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll move on. So there's been uh, some talks resuming between uh, Samoa and England around the possibility of uh, that three-game series going ahead next autumn, Martin. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise considering it seemed like uh, Samoa had sort of fully pulled out of those discussions. Yes, it, just, it, it did seem a surprise when they put out a press release on Monday um, it, that took us all. That caught us all on the hop. I think none of us had imagined that um, those those discussions would reopen. Um, but it now does seem that um, it might be on. We can't take anything for granted until you know a deal is agreed. But I mean, it's interesting to to sort of think. Well, why did Samoa pull out in the first place? And um, I'm told you know they they had some discussion discussions with Tonga and um, I think they reacted to what Tonga told them by sort of thinking that the Tongans you know perhaps hadn't been made as welcome in this country as they perhaps should have been and I think the Tongans actually were quite upset by some of the controversy that arose during the the the, the series Um, you know Sean Wayne picked up on some things and made quite a big issue of them obviously to motivate his own his own players but um I don't think the Tongans were too happy about that, to be honest, and they sort of gave that message back to the Simones. I mean, there's obviously a, a strong link between the Simones and the the Tongans, and I think the Simones were a bit dismayed by what they heard mm. and decided to um, focus on the Pacific Cup rather than the rather than coming on a tour. Hopefully, they'll change their mind, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll learn quite a bit from that as well. And and perhaps treat them with a bit more respect, hopefully. Mm. And, uh, you know, it would be great to, to have a great series against them, wouldn't it, next mm. year over here? Absolutely. And I think uh, those comments and, and that controversy that sort of arose around Game 2 following the match, uh, some of Sean Wayne's comments, I think that took a lot of us by surprise in the media because um, nothing had been said leading up to that game and it just seemed like there was... Um, we didn't know that there was something boiling under the surface there. No. Uh, and then, yeah, those comments by Sean Wayne. Well, Sean's a very surprise. passionate guy who, mm. you know, takes the England job very seriously and I, and, and I think he, you know, he likes to create rivalry mm. and there's nothing wrong with doing that but sometimes you've just got to be a bit sensitive about who you're dealing with and you you know it's not not always wise to um to create controversy where none exists really Mm. you might say um but hopefully this will be sorted out and it will we'll see the Samoans here in 2024 and I'm sure there'd be a a great challenge they've got Mm. some great players haven't they and Mm. uh it would be great to see them over here. Mm. And I mean, you know, I, I'm sure if Sean Wayne could have his time over again, he would still have, you know, made those comments. And this is rugby league. You can't let uh, your feelings to get hurt. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, something like that would probably slide against Australia and New Zealand tier one nations. They'd probably be like, they'd probably give it back. Well, Trafford ducks back. Yeah. Yeah. For them. That's but, right. Yeah. But when it's a tier two nation, they're, they're sort of, it's an expensive exercise for them to come over. Yeah. And, um, well, the thing is that, that the Tongans it. really. It was a historic tour, you know. That first test, uh, you know, was was the the first of a three test series with a new nation coming over here, and they should have been treated with greater respect than perhaps we gave them. <coughs> I mean, I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure that I read any comment, for example, by any of the RFL or RL commercial directors anywhere saying thank you to the Tongans. I'm sure they must have done, but but I didn't see them. Thank you to the Tongans for, for coming over here. It's been a pleasure to host you, and I, I'm not sure what the RFL did to make the Tongans feel feel welcome over here, but maybe it's a lesson for them as well. And, you know, it's important to ensure that when you have a touring team that they are welcomed and and they are uh, it, it is made clear to them that their presence here is valued, mm. and and that's quite important. And the other thing too is uh, the fact that Tonga agreed to come over before the CBA was even uh, agreed upon. Yes, and that was what was stopping all other nations from planning any that's fixtures. Right. Whereas yes, Tonga were the right. ones that put their hand up and said, "Yeah, we'll do it." Yeah, Christian Wolf was great. He, mm. he he made it absolutely clear that they wanted to come, and it was it was a great you know a great thing for them to do. Mm. And I don't think we realise actually all of us at, at least how 
uh, important that was. Mm, absolutely. Well, fingers crossed uh, we can get a deal done around that schedule next year. Um, I think it'll well, be a great pre-game so. series. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. It's not signed, sealed, and delivered yet, but. Uh, Hopefully it can be. Mm, absolutely. Now, uh, moving on, we also had our uh, shortlist release for the Golden Boot uh, nominees. For the men's, we've had uh, Harry Smith, uh, James Fisher-Harris, Joseph Tarpany and uh, Payne Haas all announced. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not many surprises there. Two, two um, New Zealanders obviously made sense given that they you know, put 30 points on uh, Australia in that historic win. Um, Harry Smith deservedly in the uh, final four there. And well, that's a, great, uh, that's a great boost for Harry Smith, isn't it? You know, mm. as, uh, and, and he did have a great series against, against the Tongans. And, um, and, but I think a Kiwi will probably win it this year, after, particularly after their 30-0 win over Australia. Mm. Um, I, I think James Fisher-Harris was, a, was a, a, a great skipper of the Kiwis. I agree, yeah. And I think he's probably the main man, really. But um, it's not often that a forward does win the golden boot, is it? No, no. You know, it's um, I can't remember off the top of my head uh, the last no, time. No, just just from memory. No, I can't either. Mm. You know, it's normally a hard. Well, Cameron Smith won it, of course, but he was a hooker and not really mm. the uh, you know conventional you know running forward. But um, he won it in 2019, I think. Mm. But you know, it, forwards play an important role. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the um, the Golden Boot used to be presented by our company until we sold the rights to the intellectual rights of the Golden Boot to the International Federation. And when 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 we ran it, we used to the 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 criterion then was that it had to be the best player in the world. And the International Federation, when they bought it from us, they changed the rule to say that it had to be the best player selected from that season, that year's international matches. So that excludes players like Reese Walsh, Kaelin Ponga, mm. uh, and, and other players who Nathan didn't... Nathan Cleary. Nathan Cleary, yeah. who didn't play... You know, Nathan, Nathan Cleary's performance in the grand final made it clear to me that he was potentially the best player in the world. Absolutely. But because he didn't play for Australia in the, um, in, in, in the Pacific Cup... He doesn't qualify, and I think that's a real shame. Mm. Personally, I, I, you know, once once they bought the Golden Boot offers, uh, I suppose they they felt able to change the criteria, mm. the the you know the eligibility criteria. Uh, but I think that was a mistake, and and I I think that you know Nathan Cleary, in any other year, say if we'd still been running it, I think he would have probably been the favourite this year. Mm. But, you know, those are the rules, and those are the rules you, you go with. And I think James Fisher-Harris would be an incredibly worthy winner of it this year, so I'd have no problem, you know, in accordance with, you know, saying that uh, he, he, he was the best international player this year. But Harry Smith as well. Harry Smith showed incredible maturity against the Tongans, and if he wins it, I'd be absolutely delighted that, to see mm. another English name on the list of Golden Boot winners. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like yourself, I probably prefer that old style of uh, the best yeah. player in the world. I know for me, when, when we're debating on who should be the next immortal in Australia, I always bring up the fact that Darren Lockyer won a Golden Boot at fullback and at standoff. Mm. And I always say that, you know, that to be able to win that in two positions is the best player in the world. Incredible, yeah. I think that that's incredible to have on your resume. Absolutely. Uh, and, and one of the, the bargaining points I always bring up in discussions. But um, yeah, nowadays, yeah, unless you're playing internationals, um, mm. you know, you're not sort of eligible for that award. No, no, that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, so, and then uh, obviously in the women, we have um, four uh, shortlisted nominees as well. Uh, Georgia Hale, uh, Melly Hafunga, uh, Appy Nichols, and uh, Tamika Upton from Australia too. Well, Georgia Hale, of course, used to play for York Valkyrie um, mm. until last year, and she's she's made a big impression in the NRLW this year. But, it, but again, it's international matches that, that make the difference, and the Kiwis beat the um, the Kiwi Ferns beat the Gillaroos for the first time since was it 2016 or 15? I can't remember yeah, it's now, been a but while, yeah. for a long time. Mm. And so it's not surprising that three of their players are featured in the um, in, in in the shortlist. Mm. Um, and and you know, Melly Hofanga, my goodness, she's a strong 
a strong centre, scored a, mm. a, a great try in that final game against against the uh, Australians. And, you know, they're all great players. Mm. Tamika Upton, she, I, I was amazed to see that she was making her Gillaroo's debut this year. I'd, I'd assumed that she'd played before, but, yeah. but, but no, she hadn't. And yeah. she's a terrific running fullback, I've got to say. Mm. She's always featured for Queensland in the, at yeah, the state yeah. of origin level, but yeah, not quite uh, for the Gillaroos. No, no. Yeah, Mele Hifunga, uh, the way she runs the ball, the way she can run a line um, out wide, she's nearly unstoppable close to the line. Yeah, she, she's she's a very long-legged sort of a runner, isn't she? she, mm. she she's um, just a, you know, when she gets going, she's got such terrific pace. Mm. And um, now, you know, she she. She can score tries from 80 metres mm, with, yeah. without much trouble, really, it seems. No, absolutely. And uh, we've also got our wheelchair uh, Golden Boot nominees there. I think you've got them there in front of you. Jerem- Jeremy Boisson of France and England's Lewis King. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So good luck to those two guys. And, uh, you know, it would be great to see another a French player winning a Golden Boot, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because we, we do need to boost the game in France. But obviously, the decision will be based purely on, you know, which of those two is regarded as having been the best player. To be honest with you, we need to do a better job of uh, boosting the game in Australia as well. Um, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I don't think it gets the same media coverage uh, in Australia that it does over here. Which I think the wheelchair game. No, that's right. That's probably right. Uh, there is, of course, is... controversy attached to it because the you know there's the the the, the, the French accuse the English of of playing too many able-bodied players mm. because you. I think uh, you know you you've you've got to have on 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 the uh, court at any one time, three players who, you know, are um, officially carry disabilities, right. um, but you can play able-bodied players as well, okay. and so I think we probably take advantage of that rule more than the French claim that they do. But um, you know, it's it's an interesting discussion that, isn't it? Hmm. Maybe uh, in store for some discussion around rule changes for for Oh yeah, well, you never maybe. know. You never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, well, we'll see what happens. Um, now, I wanted to uh, also get your thoughts, Martin, on uh, some of the jersey designs, some, some of the outfits we're seeing being uh, released ahead of next season. I made a little comment to you in our discussions before we started recording that I was surprised by some of the colourways uh, teams are going with. Uh, Castleford Tigers, I believe, uh, they released a green and black jersey. Um oh. I think Warrington also has an alternate jersey, which is green and a sort of navy blue uh, colour, which I think to me is a little bit foreign given that you, know, you associate your team with a, a certain uh, colour, uh, but to completely go away from that um, came as a bit of a surprise. It, it does surprise me as well. I, I, I'm a great believer in um, teams being identified by their colours. Um, Jake, if you, if you were to say Claret and Gold in this country, then you would mean Huddersfield mm. Rugby League Club. If you say um, Black and Amber, that normally means Castleford. Uh, if you say, um, for example, Blue and Amber, that normally means Leeds. Or mm. Cherry and White normally means Wigan. Or the Red V, that means St. Helens. Or Irregular Black and White Stripes, that was always seared into my mind to mean... Hull FC, blood and gold, means Catalan dragons. I think teams are very foolish to move away from those colours. You can have a an away strip um, that differs from your home strip, but can but which still has those team colours in it. Mm. And I'll never understand why teams think it's wise to um, choose colours for away strips that have nothing to do with their standard team colours. Mm. Uh, I don't understand the logic of it. I know they will say that they, they're hoping to sell more of them, but I think they'd sell more if they were in the established colours than than if they go for you know colours that have no real meaning for the team. Mm. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's odd to me. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a great believer in the fact that, you know, identity means such a lot. When you're marketing a team... You, you you use every t- every tool at your disposal to market that team's image in the minds of fans and potential fans, yeah. and I don't think you're doing that very well when you when you choose alternate jerseys that that you know don't relate to 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 the team's colours. Mm. Do you do you feel like there's um, 
some sort of feeling amongst the fans that this could just be a little bit of a money grab from the clubs? Well, yeah, but I mean, as, as I say, I think if you you, you can't criticise the clubs for wanting to generate money mm. because, you know, if they can't do that, then they're, they're not doing so well. No, I, I don't criticise clubs for wanting to generate more income, but what I'm saying is I think they would generate more income by having colours that that relate you know for like castleford black and amber mm. um or leeds you know um blue and amber mm. rather than picking colours that that just don't have that meaning i mean i i could be absolutely wrong it could be that you know castleford fans love nothing more than buying jerseys that have no relation to black yeah. and amber who knows yeah. you know you know if you don't see the the um you know the the income ledger for the yeah. for the club who knows what uh, they might have a nice doing. pair of green shoes that would match with well, the, the green knows? jersey maybe yeah i mean you know <laughs> I'm, I'm always prepared to be proven wrong uh, but i'm not sure that i would be on this occasion yeah yeah uh moving on uh we've had a little bit of uh transfer news down under i think in the last sort of 24 hours or so connor tracy the young uh Sharks sort of utility played in the halves can play fullback. Uh, he's been released to go and join the Bulldogs now. They're signing everybody, aren't they? Yeah. So that's sort of the reason why I've brought it up because I'm a little bit baffled yeah. by the signing because yeah. they've also signed in the past 12 months. So they've signed Drew Hutchison, another halfback, uh, Kurt Mann, who can play in the halves but is more of a utility yeah. player, Jake Turpin, who can play nine or utility, Blake Taff, who can play in the halves or fullback, and Jamin Salmon, who is also a half then they've also got you know matt burton on top of that and a host of other playmakers makes me wonder like what are they going to do or where are they going to play all of these players it's amazing isn't it i mean the the bulldogs are a really interesting case because they are traditionally one of the powerhouses of the um of australian rugby league And, and yet in recent years they've been doing it tough i mean they were 15th out of 17 last year they signed Cameron Seraldo as the coach at the start of the year. He was expected to do great things. Um, unfortunately, it didn't quite turn out that way. He couldn't get them into, into the top eight. And there were quite a, few, um, quite a few upsets along the way. I mean, Raymond Fatala Mariner mm. was the captain, and yet not long ago he was being excluded from the club because he apparently had a fallout with, with the coach. And that's always... A bad sign, isn't it? When mm. when things become public like that, it sort of affects the faith that fans have got in a club. And of course, they've got Phil Gould there. Um, I mean, he was uh, photographed in a in a Sydney cafe last week, wasn't he? Talking to Adin Fanua Blake, yep. the New Zealand Warriors prop forward, about a potential move to the Bulldogs. And it seems I, w- I was reading somebody in one of the Australian newspapers saying that, you know, there seem to be more photographs of Phil Gould in cafes meeting players from other clubs than, you know, anything else in the Australian newspapers. So you wonder what's going on there. I mean, Phil Gould is is an incredibly smart guy. He knows more about rugby league in his little finger probably than I do, you know, in my brain. But yet that combination of Gould and and Seraldo, which was thought to be such a, a winning combination has yet to deliver. And as you say, it, they almost look to have um, an embarrassment of riches there, don't mm. they, with those players? It's almost like every every one of those signings sort of comes across as a bit of a uh, panic signing. And yeah, I don't know, I, I, I was sort of looking at them thinking, are they going to try and play a different style of football next year, like a positionless kind of uh, style of football where they just have a whole team of playmakers on the well, field? And, who knows? I mean, uh, it would be interesting if they did, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but The game would be a lot faster. Who, know, who, know, who knows what they're going to do? Yeah, and I mean, I sort of liken that to um, you know, basketball over in the NBA over the past few years. It sort of went through a stage there where the big man, you know, the big centre that would sort of stand under the rim and, and catch all the rebounds and, and have the put-back dunks, they seem to phase out. Mm. And the league became a bit of a, a a playmaking league where you'd have two or three playmakers and a lot of shooters, and mm. um, it, it sort of became positionless basketball. Basketball. So I wonder if uh, maybe that's what they have planned, but mm. I highly doubt it. It might just be good depth. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Um, now we also have been talking about this over the past few weeks. Um, the NRL looking to bring in a sort of an incentive for clubs to poach rugby union players, a salary cap, uh, salary yes. cap exemption 
Um, now, I saw some rumours and reports circulating uh, last night that the Knights are looking to sign Tyrone Thompson, who is the twin brother, I believe, of uh, Leo Thompson, who plays for the Knights and also played for the Kiwis in the Pacific Championship this season. He had a really good series, in, in my view. Um, now, I also heard in a podcast this week that uh, Leo, uh, sorry, yeah, Leo Thompson he grew up playing rugby union and was converted to rugby league at the age of 19. And to see how well he's playing at such a young age oh, yes. and how quickly he's transitioned, I wonder if uh, them going after Tyrone Thompson, his twin brother, whether they're hoping that will have the same effect. Well, I think Tyrone Thompson is obviously, has, has obviously suggested that he's open to the idea. Mm. Uh, but then again, it depends what he's being paid as a, an all-black and what, what he could be paid as a member of the Newcastle Knights team. Mm. Um, but you know we'll we'll just have to wait and see on that. But I'm I'm really unsure about this this proposal though to to give exemptions for signing rugby union players because as far as I'm concerned it it just gives young kids the um, incentive to play rugby union to then get a big signing back in the NRL and um, and I think these signings very rarely work to be perfectly honest. Mm. Interesting interestingly the. The most recent signing from Rugby Union in, in Australia was probably Lackey Miller, mm. wasn't it? Who was signed by Cronulla, then went to Newcastle, but was edged out by Kaelin Ponger at fullback for Newcastle and is coming to Leeds in 2024. And he looks a very good player to me. Mm. Um, but, you know, that he, he wasn't... I mean, I think he was pretty unlucky to be competing with Kaelin Ponger for a position mm. at Newcastle. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it's it's... Not obvious that he was a great success, although I think he was pretty good. But, you know, hopefully he'll be a star signing for Leeds. I'd love to one uh, one day sit down and ask him, you know, what interest he had from other NRL clubs when mm. he decided to leave the Knights. Because, you know, I can only imagine there'd be a few clubs showing interest. Maybe he just wanted to come over here Wait, and test himself know, in yes. Super League. You never know. Um, but, yeah. And uh, the other news from down under, uh, the Brisbane Broncos are reportedly giving uh, Kurt Capel permission to leave uh, following an offer he's received from the Warriors, which is mm. uh, a bit of a surprise, but the Broncos did just re-sign Jordan Rickey and um, yes. a lot of great young back rowers. So. Well, Capewell is a very good player in my view, and I'm surprised they're prepared to consider letting, letting him go. Mm. But obviously they've got a lot of talent there, so mm. obviously they, they, they think that they can make him surplus to requirements. No, that's right. And when they still have to re-sign Ezra Mam and, and Reese Walsh, that money has to come from somewhere, It does, yes, indeed, so, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've just, uh, before we are talking about in League Express this week, Martin, uh, we're counting down the 50 greatest moments uh, um, from the year. Uh, mm. Now, I think this week is sort of the first... Yes, we're, we're, we're moments 50 to 41. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've got a number of, of things there. Probably the major one there is the marquee player rule change, which now so that's coming in at number 46. And that um, is a rule change that was made earlier this year, obviously. But um, it, from, from 2024 onwards, you can have three marquee players in Super League. Mm. And that's really quite interesting. Um, the, the 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 third one has to be an Englishman club trained, um, and that's designed to try and prevent great young English players going to the NRL, mm. which is probably a pretty thankless task, I would think, because if young players want to go to the NRL, they <coughs> will go there. But nonetheless, the it's really interesting to see that in Australia you've not adopted the marquee player rule. Mm. You you don't have it at all, do you? No. So that, for example, if um, if 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 the um, and and of course you, you you probably don't have a threat from rugby union now. I know Joseph Suali'i is still down to go to play for Australian rugby union mm. in two thousand and twenty five, but um, and you don't have a threat from 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 us. I don't suppose. I don't feel that there's a threat from us. Mm. But in theory, at least, um, you know we've we've seen. Recently, two new owners in Super League, uh, Mike Danson at Wigan and Matthew Ellis at Wakefield. Now, both those two guys are very wealthy individuals. They're not the only ones. Simon Moran at Warrington, for example. Hmm. Now, if those, if, say, Mike Danson at Wigan decided, for example, that he wanted to sign Nathan Cleary, he could potentially offer Nathan Cleary a million pounds a year. Hmm. 
and only £150,000 of that would count on the salary cap. Yeah. So actually, potentially, um, if, if we had enough billionaires running rugby league clubs in England, we could raid Australia and get all the best players from the NRL. Absolutely. I, I obviously don't think it's going to happen because, A, we've not got that many billionaires, and B, they'd have to show that they wanted to do that. Mm. But having a marquee player rule um, potentially allows you to do that. Mm. Um, and, you know, all, all you need is, the, is the, the people with the money and the will to put that into place. Mm. But, you know, who knows? You I'm never quite know. Sort of thinking, wouldn't the dream scenario be uh, that, I guess, Penrith go on to win uh, their fourth grand final in a row and then Wakefield get promoted back into the Super League? <laughs> then, I guess, uh, what more does Cleary have to achieve in <laughs> the NRL? <laughs> Matthew Ellis could throw a big money off Well, I'm him. sure he's always wanted to come and play for Wakefield. But, you know, who knows? <laughs> hey, you know, imagine being able to market him to who knows? Uh, football up here. He'd be unreal. Yeah. Um, but but there, yeah. are lots of, there are lots of very interesting things, you know, highlights of the year to look back on. And, and they are uh, in, in, in League Express this, uh, th- this week, the 50 most significant and memorable moments. And next week, next Monday, it will be you know, countdown from 40 to, 40, 40 to 31. Mm. And so, not an easy task, I can imagine, uh, trying to uh, pick which, which moments. No, how, do you, how moment. do you actually pick which moment is more important than, than others? Yeah. I mean, the thing to, to, to do is to look and see, well, what appears to have most significance mm. um, for, you know, the, for, for the future? So, you know, we, we always like to look back and see how, um, how, how our predictions from earlier years worked out. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's all personal preference, I guess. You, know, yeah, you might yeah. see one thing more important than the other. Two other things I'd like to talk about before we go. One is Michael Maguire. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the New Zealand Rugby League partnered company with Michael Maguire this mm-hmm. year, and he's going to take up the New South Wales Blues in 2024. Mm. Um, they, they, they said that um, there was a conflict of interest and he couldn't do two jobs, which I'm quite surprised about, really, because, you know, the, the fact is that uh, he's, he's enjoyed great success with the Kiwis, inflicting mm. that 30 nil defeat on Australia. I think Michael Maguire's a great coach, and I wouldn't have made the decision if I'd been the New Zealand Rugby League. The fact is that the state of origin is played mid-season and the Pacific Cup, which New Zealand will be in again next year, is played at the end of the season. Mm. So I can't see that there's that much of a conflict of interest, really. And, and, and actually, if he's coaching the Blues, Michael Maguire will have a terrific insight into a lot of Australian players mm. when it comes to coaching New Zealand. Yeah. So if anything... I would have thought that was an advantage, advantage for, yeah. for them um, in that he will have unique insights. Mm. <clears throat> but they don't, you know, they've decided to go elsewhere and it's not clear yet who will succeed Michael Maguire. And um, whoever that is, I mean, some people are saying Stacey Jones could be the guy. Um, you know, great if it is. But that person, whoever it is, will be under a lot of pressure to replicate the sort of Mm-hmm. results that Michael Maguire has, has had this year. Mm. And I can understand the argument if it was you were coaching New South Wales and Australia. Oh, but yes. New Zealand have nothing to do with state of origin. No, no, no. And, yeah, how, how intensive is the workload of being a, a coach for three games and then, you know, three or four at the end of the season? Well, it's pretty intense, but only for the first part of the season, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, I think the final game in state of origin is played in July. Mm. So by by then, it's over. And no doubt the you know, period leading up to that, Maguire will be incredibly busy mm. making, you know, doing the best he can with the Blues. But after that, his attention could turn to the Kiwis and, mm. you know, it would be a, a smooth transition in my view. But, you know, they've they've made their choice and, mm. um, you know, they will obviously have to live with it. And he's been on record saying that he wanted to do both oh, roles. Oh, of course, yes. So, yeah. yeah. And was perfectly capable. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And what he did with that New Zealand side, I'm a little bit worried as a Queenslander uh, next year with yes. him. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. I think he's a, you know, he's a smart guy. Mm. And uh, it gives us a lot to look forward to on uh, with State of Origin next year. Absolutely. And was there something else you wanted to One mention? One other thing, yeah. yes. Just, just to, uh, to note, um, St. Helens confirmed their squad numbers uh, at the weekend, and Daryl Clark's got the number nine shirt for St. Helens, only the third player since Super League began in 1996 to wear the number nine shirt for, for St. Helens. Kieran Cunningham wore it for 15 years. 
James Roby then wore it for 13 years. Isn't that yeah. incredible? That's amazing. And, uh, you know, Daryl Clark, um, well, he won't wear it for 13 years because he's already 30 mm-hmm. or thereabouts. So, you know, he won't have that long a tenure. But it's amazing to think that, you know, it's such an iconic squad number, number nine for St. Helens. And I'm, I'm always surprised. I, I think squad numbers are a real marketing offer rugby league really marketing potential that we don't use you know i I really do think you know saints announced their squad numbers in a very sort of quiet sort of matter of fact way i think they ought to make a lot more of it Mm. you know they they really should Mm. um you know in, in in some other sports that i can think of um they make a really big thing of when a squad number passes from one player to another they very often have a previous player who's worn that number coming back to, you know, give the shirt mm. to the new guy who's who's getting it for the first time, and we could make so much more of squad numbers than we than we do. It's like many things in our game, we don't know how to use them as marketing tools, mm. and it, it's ridiculous because it it wouldn't cost us anything. It's it's a it's a form of marketing that doesn't cost you a penny, mm. and yet it's easy to do. You know, and uh, it's crazy. It's also notable that. Um, Saints have got a vacant number three shirt with um, um, with Will Hopoati having gone gone back to Australia, and they've not filled that shirt yet. And they've said they are still looking for somebody who who can fill it. So that's mm. going to be quite interesting. Yeah, interesting to see who they uh, can get because uh, yeah, I'd imagine there'd be a few centres out there or outside backs looking for a job. So oh yeah, yeah well, you would think so, wouldn't you? In. But they've got to be pretty good to get into St Helens side. Oh yeah, you know it, it's not. Uh, it's not me or you they're looking for, is it? No, no, no. Me in particular. Although, <laughs> you know, gladly put the hand up for a run yeah. in the experience. But, um, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll recommend you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll see, we'll see. No. Um, all right, Martin, well, I think we're, I'm happy to wrap that up there if you are. Anything yes, else that's like to perfectly touch on? fine. I can't think of much else that we want to talk about. It's been, um, the, the news cycle's been generous to us over the past few weeks. Oh, I think so, weeks, yes. No football being played. I think so. Uh, the episodes would probably be, you know, over an hour if we were to talk games as well on yes. top of this. Um, but let's not uh, forget to remind our listeners and viewers, if you do want to grab yourself a League Express subscription, head along to www.totalrl.com forward slash shop. The Rugby League World magazine's Unless also out now. show the front cover. That's the front cover this week. Is this magic? Yeah. Is it really magic to go to Elland Road? That's it. And also um, on the back as well. Sorry, we've got the Rugby League World Yes, magazine. Rugby League World. And you've got an article in it this month. Yes, yes. That's why you're very keen to promote it. No, no, absolutely. You can, you can read incredible words of wisdom from Jay <laughs> if, you, if you buy this coming month's Rugby League World. Yes, you might agree It's said to be out this weekend. Absolutely. All you need is a subscription. Yep. And where do you get that, Jake? Uh, www.totalrl.com forward, oh, forward slash shop. That's, yep, that's correct. It. So uh, that's correct. we'll get there one day at saying it fluently. Um, but all right, guys, we'll uh, leave it here. Uh, thanks again for listening. And uh, yeah, keen to do it all again. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jake. Cheers, Cheers. Mate.